Down in Fanet, in times gone by, lived Jamie Freel and his mother. Jamie was the widow's sole support. His strong arm worked for her untiringly. And as each Saturday night came round, he poured his wages into her lap, thanking her dutifully for the half-pence which she returned to him for tobacco. He was extolled by his neighbors as the best son ever known or heard of. But he had neighbors of whose opinion he was ignorant, neighbors who lived pretty close to him, whom he had never seen and who are indeed rarely seen by mortals, except on May's Eve and Halloween's. An old ruined castle about a quarter of a mile from his cabin was said to be the abode of the wee folk. Every Halloween were the ancient windows lighted up and passers-by saw little figures flitting to and fro inside the building while they heard the music of pipes and flutes. It was of course well known that fairy revels took place, but nobody had the courage to intrude on them. Jamie had often watched the little figures from a distance and listened to the charming music, wondering what the inside of the castle was like. But one Halloween he got up, took his cap, and said to his mother, Oh, I am away to the castle to seek me fortune. What? cried she. Would you venture there? You, that's the poor widow's only son. Donna be so venturesome and foolish, Jamie. They'll kill you. And then what'll come of me? I never fear, mother. Nay harm will happen to me. And I'm on my way. So Jamie set out. And as he crossed the potato field, came in sight of the castle, whose windows were ablaze with light, that seemed to turn the russet leaves still clinging to the crab-tree branches into gold. Halting in the grove at one side of the ruin, he listened to the elven revelry, and the laughter and singing made him all the more determined to proceed. Numbers of little people, the largest about the size of a child of five years old, were dancing to the music of flutes and fiddles, while others drank and feasted. Welcome, Jamie Freel! Welcome, welcome, Jamie! cried the company, perceiving their visitor. The word welcome was caught up and repeated by every voice in the castle. Time flew, and Jamie was enjoying himself very much when his host said, Jamie, we're going to ride down to Dublin tonight to steal a young lady. Will you come too? Aye, that I will! cried the rash young youth thirsting for adventure. A troop of horses stood at the door. Jamie mounted one, and his steed rode with him into the air. He was presently flying over his mother's cottage, surrounded by the elven troop. And on and on they went, over bold mountains, over the little hills, over the deep low swilly, over towns and cottages, when people were burning nuts and eating apples, and making merry Halloween. It seemed to Jamie that they flew all round Ireland before they got to Dublin. Oi, this is Derry, said the fairies, flying over the cathedral spire, and what was said by one voice was repeated by all the rest, until fifty little voices were crying out, Derry, Derry, Derry. In like manner was Jamie informed as they passed over each town on the route, and at length he heard the silvery voices cry, Dublin, Dublin. It was no mean dwelling that was to be honoured by the fairy visit, but one of the finest houses in Stephen's Green. The troop dismounted near a window, and Jamie saw a beautiful face on a pillow in a splendid bed. 
he saw the young lady lifted and carried away while the stick which was left in her place on the bed took her exact form. The lady was then placed before one rider and carried a short way, then given to another, and the names of the towns were cried out as before as they returned home. As they returned to their starting point, Jamie heard Rathmullen, Milford, Tamney, and then he knew they were near his own cottage. You've all had your turn carrying the young lady, said he. Why wouldn't I get her for a wee piece? Aye, Jamie, replied they pleasantly. You may now take your turn at carrying her, to be sure. Holding his prize very tightly, he dropped down near his mother's door. Jamie Freel, Jamie Freel, is that the way you treat us? cried they, and they too dropped down near to the door. Jamie held fast, though he knew not what he was holding, for the little folk turned the lady into all sorts of strange shapes. At one moment she was a black dog, barking and trying to bite. At another, a glowing bar of iron which yet had no heat. Then, again, a sack of wool. But Jamie held her, and the baffled elves were then turning away when a tiny woman, the smallest of the party, exclaimed, Jamie Freel has her away from us, but he shall have no good of her, for I'll mark her, deaf and dumb. And she cast a spell upon the girl. While they rode off disappointed, Jamie lifted the latch of his home and went in. Jamie, man, cried his mother, you've been away all night. What have they done to you? Nothing bad, mother. I had the very best of good luck. Here's a beautiful lady I had brought you for company. Bless and save us, exclaimed his mother, and for some minutes she was so astonished that she could not think of anything else to say. Jamie went on to tell his story of the night's adventures, ending by saying, Surely you wouldn't have been allowing me to let her gang with them and be lost forever. But a lady, Jamie, replied his mother. How can a lady eat on our poor diet and live where we live in this poor way? I ask you that, you foolish boy. Well, mother, certainly it's better for her to be here with us and not over yonder, responded Jamie, pointing in the direction of the castle. Meanwhile, the deaf and dumb girl shivered in her light clothing, stepping close to the humble turf fire. Poor creature, she's quite handsome, though. It's not a wonder they set their hearts on her, said Jamie's mother, gazing at her guest with pity and admiration. Jamie, firstly, we must dress the poor girl. But what in the name of fortune have I to fit the likes of her? Jamie's mother then went to her press in the room and took out her Sunday gown of brown drugget. She then opened a drawer and drew forth a pair of white stockings, a long snowy garment of fine linen, and a cap. These articles of attire had long been ready for a certain tryst ceremony in which she would one day fill the chief part, and only saw the light occasionally when they were hung out for air. But she was willing to give even these to the fair trembling visitor, who was turning in dumb sorrow and wonder from her to Jamie, and then from Jamie back to her. The poor girl then suffered herself to be dressed by Jamie's mother, and then sat down on a chair near the chimney corner, and buried her face in her hands. "'Oh, Jamie, what'll we do to keep up a lady like that?' cried the old woman. "'I'll work for you both, mother,' replied the son. "'And how could a lady like this live on our poor diet, Jamie?' 
she repeated. I'll work for her, was all Jamie's answer, and he kept his word. The young lady was very sad for a very long time, and tears stole down her cheeks many an evening while the old woman spun by the fire and Jamie made salmon nets, an accomplishment lately acquired by him, in the hopes of adding to the comfort of his guests. But she was always gentle, and tried to smile when she perceived them looking at her, and by degrees she adapted herself to their way and mode of life. It was not very long before she began to feed the pig, mash potatoes and meal for the fowls, and knit blue worsted socks. And so a year passed, and Halloween came round again. Hi, mother, said Jamie, taking down his cap. I'm off to the old castle again to seek me fortune. Are you mad, Jamie? cried his mother in terror. Surely they'll kill you this time for what you've done to him last year. Jamie made light of her fears and went on his way. As he reached the crab-tree grove, he saw bright lights in the castle windows as before, and heard loud talking. Creeping under the window, he heard the wee folk say, That was a poor trick Jamie Frio played on us this night last year, when he stole that nice young lady from us. Aye, said the tiny woman, and I punished him for it, for there she sits, a dumb image by his hearth. But he doesn't know that three drops out of this glass I hold in my hand would give her her hearing and her speeches back again. Jamie's heart beat fast as he entered the hall. Again he was greeted by a chorus of welcomers from the company. Here comes Jamie Friel. Welcome, Jamie. Welcome back. As soon as the tumult subsided, the little woman said, Best you drink to our health, Jamie, out of this glass in my hand. Jamie snatched the glass from her hand and darted out the door. He never knew exactly how he reached his cabin, but when he arrived there breathless, he sank down onto the floor by the fire. "'You're killed surely this time, my poor boy,' said his mother. "'No, indeed, better luck than ever this time, mother.' And he gave the lady three drops of the liquid that remained in the bottom of the glass, notwithstanding the mad race over the potato field. The lady began to speak, and her first words were words of thanks to Jamie and his mother. After that, the three inmates of the cabin had so much to say to one another that long after cock crow, when the fairy music had quite ceased, they were talking round the fire still. "'Jamie,' said the lady, "'be pleased to get me a paper and pen and ink that I may write to my father and let him know what's come of me.' She wrote, but weeks passed and she never received an answer. Again and again she wrote, but still no answer.' At length, she said, "'You must come with me to Dublin, Jamie, to find my father.' "'I have no money to hire a car for you,' he replied. "'And how can you travel to Dublin on your foot?' But she implored him so much that he considered to set out with her and walk all the way from Fannet to Dublin. It was not as easy as the ferry journey, but at last they rang the bell at the door of the house in Stephen's Green. "'Tell my father that his daughter is here,' she said to the servant who opened the door. The gentleman that lives here has no daughter, my dear. He had one, but she died not more than a year ago. Do you not know me, Sullivan? No, poor girl, I do not. Let me see the gentleman. I only asked to see him. But I don't suppose that that's too much to ask. We'll see what can be done. 
In a few moments, the lady's father came to the door. Dear father, she said, don't you know me? How dare you call me your father, cried the old gentleman angrily. You're an impostor, I have no daughter. Look in my face, father, and surely you'll remember me. My daughter is dead and buried. She died a long, long time ago. The old gentleman's voice changed from anger to sorrow. You can go, he concluded. Stop, dear father, till you look at this ring on me finger. Look at your name and mine engraved upon it. Aye, it certainly is my daughter's ring, but I do not know how you came by it. I fear in no honest way. Call my mother then. She will surely know me. She will remember me, said the poor girl, who by this time was crying bitterly. Absolutely not. My poor wife is just beginning to forget her sorrow. So seldom she speaks of her daughter now. Why should I renew her grief by reminding her again of her loss? But the young lady persisted, till at last the mother was sent for. Mother, she began, don't you know your own daughter? I have no daughter. My daughter died and was buried a long, long time ago. Only look into my face and surely you'll know me. The old lady shook her head. It seems like you've all forgotten me. But look at this mole on my neck. Surely, mother, you know me now. Yes, said the mother. My Gracie had a mole on her neck just like that. But then I saw her in her coffin, and saw the lid shut down upon her and saw her buried. It then became Jamie's turn to speak, and he gave the history of the fairy journey and the theft of the young lady a year ago, of the figure he had seen laid in its place, of his life with his mother in Fanet, of last Halloween, and of the three drops that had released her from the enchantment. Gracie took up the story when he paused and told how kind the mother and the son had been to her. The parents could not make enough of Jamie. They treated him with every distinction. And when he expressed his wish to return to Fanet, said they did not know what to do to show their gratitude. But an awkward complication arose. The daughter would not let him go without her. If Jamie goes, I'll go too, she said. He saved me from the fairies and has worked for me ever since. If it had not been for him, dear father and mother, you would have never seen me again. If he goes, I'll go as well. With this being the only resolution, the old gentleman said that Jamie should become his son-in-law. The mother was brought from Fanet in a coach and four, and there was a splendid wedding. And from that day, they all lived together in the Grand Dublin house, and Jamie was heir to untold wealth at his father-in-law's death.